All right, guys. Uh, welcome to Fortitude Live. This is episode 17. I am joined here by Dr. Daniel Coda. Um, just to give a little bit of context, uh, this episode is going to be surrounding the topic of stem cells and stem cell therapy, uh, potential pros and cons, where it came from, where it's going now. Um, I actually found Dr. Coda uh, via a TED Talk when I was doing my initial research on stem cell therapy amongst all the resources that I looked at, and I found his episode very insightful. So I actually Googled around, found his email on LinkedIn, sent him an email, and he happened to reply. So we were able to link up, and uh, I was able to get him on this episode. And after a few technical difficulties, we got the sound working. And um, and I believe it looks like he's in his office, potentially at the hospital or something. But um, welcome, Dr. Coda. Thank, uh, thanks for uh, coming on the episode. Um, perhaps you could give my audience a little bit of your background and what you do and some of your credentials and things because um, they're all a bunch of gym meatheads and stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'll try to build some credibility here before we start. Right? For sure. Yeah, so I am um, – so I'm from Brazil. Mm -hmm. You know, most people will never guess that. They get confused. Mm -hmm. I tell them that Brazil has the largest Japanese colony outside Japan, but it doesn't matter, right? You see me, right. and, and I say I'm from Brazil, people just, you know, they lose it. Yeah. So I have a background in biology. I did my undergrad in biology. I okay. have a master's in molecular biology. Mm. Uh, I have a doctorate in medical science. And I've been involved in the stem cell field, I would say, since 2007. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. You've and seen it come a long way then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I caught it right in the beginning. So, so as a background, I can tell you that I was... I finished my master's in Brazil, and by that time, I heard about stem cells. That would be 2006, around mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. And I knew that it was happening in the U.S., right? So I said, I want to I want to go to the U.S. And, and learn about stem cells. And the way it happens in Brazil, most scientists, when they come here, they know somebody, right? They, they arrange an exchange program or something. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. So what I did, I wrote a bunch of professors here and I said, look, I'm really interested in learning, you know, here's my CV. I want to learn about stem cells. And I wrote about 30 people, mm -hmm. only two will reply. Mm -hmm. One said no. And the other said, yeah, sure. Come, come around. Uh -huh. uh, so I got here and I first started at UC San Diego at a, at a institution, institution called the burn, the Burnham Institute in okay. San Diego. So for those of mm -hmm. you who know that institution is actually in front of the, of the Torrey Pines golf course. So it was okay. very, very nice. But within a few a few months, I, I kind of got into a bad situation and and I, I switched and I got into contact with what many considered the father of the mesenchymal stem cell field. Okay. So his name was Darren Prokop. Okay. And uh, so, you know, he invited me over, joined his lab, and he was moving to Texas at that time because the governor had given millions of dollars to run a, a regenerative medicine institute. Oh, so, cool. so I did my graduate studies there in, in mesenchymal stem cells. Mm -hmm. uh, from that, I did three years of postdoc, postdoctoral training, working with stem cells in, in, uh, in a, I would say, in neurotrauma, neurodegeneration. Mm. I got in contact with different kinds of cells, including amniotic cells, bone right. marrow cells, adipose cells, right? I know we're going to talk about that. Mm. Uh, I then moved to the Midwest. I ran my own lab, again, working with cell therapy. 
Mm-hmm. And now currently I am the director of a center for cell therapy here at Houston Methodist okay. in the okay. medical center. What do you guys do there specifically? So my center gets uh, new new cell therapies from research and mm-hmm. we bring them into patients. That's, okay. that's our goal. Okay. So are you, are you guys actively taking sources of cells or are you doing transplants or... So we're actually just finishing the facility, but the idea is we'll get, uh, you know, there are new cell therapies coming along every every day. Mm-hmm. And the idea is to bring those products because I can tell you as, as someone who's done research for a long time, mm-hmm. the biggest gap you find in cell therapy is that that jump from research to clinic, right? There's a huge gap there. Sure. And it's very hard to navigate because of all the regulatory issues and all the, all the efficacy issues. So mm-hmm. the idea is to bring all these, you know, all these things that I know are needed to bring those research into patients. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's pretty awesome, man. That's pretty awesome. Now, just for everyone, um, thank you for doing that, for talking about that. Um, just to give everybody a little bit of context of myself as an athlete, in case you're a new listener and you don't already follow me, is um, I'm a two-time CrossFit Games athlete and uh, also an elite level power lifter, totaled over 2,000 pounds in competition, um, squatted 225 for 100 reps, of deadlifted 850, squatted 788, bench 460, um, you know, clean and jerk 400 pounds, um, all, that, all that jazz. And in 2019, I had a snowboarding accident where my back was fine before that, and that led to uh, pretty severe uh, on and off localized pain. Um, you know, surrounding my SI joint, what I didn't realize is probably uh, uh, related to lumbar discs and herniations since. And um, that kind of culminated recently in like April, May, uh, with sciatic pain and numbness, uh, numbness and weakness in my left leg. And so I actually researched and sought out um, stem cell therapy, ended up going down to Medellin, Colombia to get um, uh, allogenic stem cells. Uh, cultured from the Wharton's jelly portion of an umbilical cord. And um, they did 150 million cells IV intravenous, and they did 10 million cells in each of my bottom three lumbar discs. And uh, they did 10 million cells spread amongst the facet joints of my lumbar vertebra. Um, Now, going into this uh, therapy, I was a little bit tentative. Um, you know, the, the, the medicine, this type of regenerative medicine is still fairly new. Um, you know, as we spoke about before recording, they're basically essentially doing live clinical trials and essentially selling them to people. Um, but all the research I had done, everyone I spoke to, I spoke to probably at least five to 10, uh, previous patients, um, it's been very hard for me to find situations that have turned out negative. Um, I vaguely heard about an individual doing something really bizarre, like putting it in his eye and it turned a bone or something crazy like that. But among all the individuals who did it IV and either intradiscal or um, in a joint, like in their knee or their shoulder, of seems that they have experienced pretty drastic results. Now, I was in the position of having to do either 
a microdiscectomy procedure and remove, you know, a portion of the protruded disc, my L5-S1, which was the worst of the three, um, the L3, L4, L4, L5 were herniated. And um, I really didn't want to go that route because I know of quite a few individuals who have gotten back surgery as well. And some of them, it helped them, but some of them, it also didn't help them or it helped them for a little bit. And then, you know, maybe they didn't change their habits. Maybe they kept sitting for eight to 10 hours a day. Maybe they didn't change their behavior to support, you know, full healing. Um, and it kind of, you know, continued degenerating over time. And so it kind of seemed like, you know, I would rather take the chance and attempt to get stem cell therapy, see if I can experience some of these drastic benefits, like a lot of these individuals I spoke to had experienced. And worst case scenario, I try, it doesn't help, still end up getting the surgery. But best case scenario, maybe I make a pretty full recovery, you know, in a certain amount of time. So I kind of took the optimistic approach, went down, got the therapy. Um, I noticed a pretty Im immediate, if you watched any of my Instagram stories, I have a thread on it, an immediate increase in energy, um, which was pretty bizarre. It was almost like my body had too much energy to use, and I almost felt like a body high, like a euphoric sensation. Um, I normally need about eight to nine hours of sleep, and after the first IV, after getting the IVs done, I woke up after five to six hours of sleep wired, like I had drank cups of caffeine, and it was really pretty. It was really pretty interesting because, like, if I had normally slept five to six hours, I'd be a zombie, and I woke up like buzzing. Uh, my whole body felt like I had taken 2,000 milligrams of ibuprofen, um, and I was, you know, I I had a day off, and, you know, I obviously worked and did some things that day, and then I went in, that was like Monday, Tuesday, and I went out on Thursday to get the, the lumbar procedure done, and I did that. Like, it was a little bit stiff for 24 hours, maybe, um, but then it's now September the 2nd. And so it's been almost a month, about four weeks, three and a half weeks. And I've noticed a pretty significant increase in range of motion, pain-free range of motion. Uh, my calf strength has probably come back to about 70, 75%. I can't run yet, but I can do quite a bit. Um, numbness has pretty much all but gone away. Um, I have sensation in my foot back. It's not 100%, it's still a little bit dull. But from totally falling asleep, pins and needles, to just kind of a dull sensation and completely gone from my glute, hamstring, calf area, only in my foot now, just a little bit, it's been a pretty significant improvement. So I'm genuinely, I'm genuinely curious to see sort of the rate at which um, this continues to improve at. Let me ask you, how did they come up with the, the number there, the, the dose? the actual amount they injected yeah so when i was speaking to them they said it was based on my body weight so they didn't say the exact ratio that they used maybe it was a trade secret i don't know yeah. um, they said they basically said they were giving me about the most they would give someone of my body weight they said they didn't want to give any more than that but they were giving kind of the max that they felt was okay for someone of my body weight that is interesting. So when you run, when we run clinical trials, we, I mean, I don't want to badmouth anybody. I understand. No, no, feel free. I understand everyone's motives, you know, and incentives behind this whole thing. Sure. We usually use what's called the ideal body weight because it's somebody like you, right? You're huge, right? Mm -hmm. and 
I'm about 230 to 250 pounds. Yeah, so you 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 know you'll be your dose would be super high. So you know mm. we will never give you that much. But mm. I was just curious. Yeah, yeah. So so maybe for the people listening, I've gotten a lot of questions about this therapy. You know, a lot of people aren't super educated on like what a stem cell is. You know, where they come from. Why even this cell in particular? How did how did we even figure this out? You know. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could give a little bit of background or a little bit of insight yeah. into that. So, you yeah. know, and, and maybe I could help, you know, if, if you get too complicated, I could kind of bridge the gap. A little yeah, I'll, I'll tr- no, I'll try to keep it. So stem cells is a very complicated issue, right? So I, sure. I usually d- divide stem cells into two, two categories, uh-huh. postnatal and a prenatal. So your sure. prenatal will be embryonic stem cells, fetal stem cells, and your postnatal will be your Wharton jelly your bone marrow, adipose, anything that's, you know, after you're born, right? Yeah. I, I think what happens is these two came up, came about at the same time. Yeah. Uh, not to say the MSC in particular came up before, but I think as far as research and interest, they kind of came about the same time. The idea that you can have a cell that would turn into something else and you can use for treatment, mm-hmm. right? I think it, and, and well, the problem is those two cells are very, those two types of, can be very different with the prenatal being very potent in terms of what can they become. Yeah. That's also, that's both good and bad because it's very uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. Right. So the first reports of people injecting these cells, uh, we had many horror stories, you know, of people getting uh, teratomas or things growing in their brains and stuff like that. I saw some, I saw some very interesting reports of like, a tumor growing that had like hair and teeth and you know yeah that's kind of, yeah yeah that mm. can happen and, and but at the same time i think the 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 adult stem cells or the postnatal stem cells kind of picked the interest of a lot of people and in contrast with the fetal they have a limitation on what they can become right sure. they are already predetermined to be something else mm. we call them progenitors mm-hmm. so the whole idea of stem cells it's very convoluted because mm-hmm. you're calling different things the same thing. Yeah. And the reason they do that is very simple. The mm-hmm. term stem cells, cells, right? It's it's catchy. It's it's mm-hmm. if you want funds, you mm-hmm. want to use the term that's more right, it's more attractive for funds. It's a buzzword. It's a buzzword, right? People, everyone so it created a whole confusion in the early 2000s, right? Sure. So as time went on, I think people realize embryonic stem cells, fetus stem cells are very unstable. And you can't really use them as they are, right? Mm-hmm. Just pure, just get them and inject them. That's too dangerous. Yeah. So those people started going, okay, maybe we can differentiate them in the lab and then put them in people. That mm-hmm. has been going on for a while. Now, on the other side of things, what they realize is that those stem cells can be of many, many places and, and many origins. But some people found out, and my, my mentor included, they found mm-hmm. this very specific stem cell. They call it the mesenchymal stem cell, right? Mm-hmm. And those were first found, I think, in the 60s. Some, somebody found it, uh, and they they realized that these cells could turn into bone, right? Not only into bone, but if you push them a little bit, they can actually turn into cartilage, bone, and fat. Mm-hmm. So in the scientist's minds, we're thinking, okay, we found a cell that we can use to replace all these things, right? Mm-hmm. So we can, and the, the first paradigm that I tell people is 
when these cells came about, they, they thought, okay, we'll use these cells to replace damaged organs or damaged tissue. Right? That's mm-hmm. the idea. Mm-hmm. But what happened was over the years, they realized that, first of all, the differentiation capacity is limited and it's mm-hmm. very hard to differentiate in vivo. And at the same time, they were injecting these cells, trying to see differentiation, but they were seeing improvements that were not related to differentiation. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'll give an example. My, my mentor is colleague. They, they injected these cells in a patient that had osteogenic imperfection. So these are patients that have a malfunction bone. Right? Their bones don't form. And sure. they will inject these cells and, you know, it will form bone. That's what they mm-hmm. do, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the patient got better, but there was no increase in bone. Mm-hmm. And and the, everybody was very puzzled. And they, they found out that the way they do it, this amazing kind of stem cells, mm-hmm. is that they secrete factors that mm-hmm. will modulate our immune system. Mm-hmm. So that means it will decrease inflammation. It will decrease autoimmunity, if you have autoimmunity. Or mm-hmm. it will actually dumping down inflammation and will give you a body your body a chances to heal and i would i'll go beyond that and i'll say not only will reduce inflammation but will actually increase healing right mm-hmm. it will increase so so then it, it the whole field just switch just just changed right and then another thing happened they realized that if a cell if a cell can decrease inflammation modulate the immune system and promote healing there are infinite number of diseases you can treat with it. Yes. Think about the number of diseases that have inflammation and mm-hmm. immune dis- dysregulation. Yeah. So a whole thing. So if you look online, I looked this morning, clinicaltrials.gov, right, where they list all the clinical trials. There mm-hmm. are 1,500 trials using MSCs for you name it, any right. disease, right? Anything you can think of under the sun, right? And I think people got lucky. I, not, I don't say lucky but I, it's, it was a coincidence that these cells we call them immune privileged like so i'll give an example if i get my immune cells and put in your body mm-hmm. my immune cells and your immune cells will fight you death right? sure and then that's what happens with transplanted bone marrow we'll fight you death and we kill each other mm-hmm. it turns out these cells in particular mscs they are the immune privileged that means your immune system can hardly recognize them in my body and they mm-hmm. don't elicit any immune response. So yep. they are immune privileged. So that means I can get my cells inserted in your body and you find it's what you did, right? Mm-hmm. And not only that, they found out that these cells can be found anywhere in, in the bone marrow, in the adipose tissue, mm-hmm. in the Morton's jelly. Mm-hmm. And the last piece of it is they are safe. There is mm-hmm. no crazy growth. Mm-hmm. There is no differentiation into nothing. They will. They do what we call it a hit and run. They mm-hmm. will get. They will maybe go to the site where you have inflammation or immune dysregulation, do their thing, and just go vanish. Go right? we, we've done this in mice many times. I mean, the only danger in mice is is the cells get embolized into the lungs, and some mice will will, will perish. Mm-hmm. For humans, it's less of an issue because. You're, uh, we're bigger, it's, you know, it's, sure. it's, less, it's there's still a risk. Mm-hmm. But it turns out they're pretty safe. So every clinic here or abroad uses these cells because they know it's safe. They know it, it might or it might not do anything. Like, and I think that from my perspective, that's the problem. 
Uh, I know, you know, because once we start, once this thing has started, you know, I was concerned that we're getting all these cells injected into people willy-nilly. And after years and thousands of trials, I can I can tell they're safe. Mm-hmm. If you manufacture it properly, right? Yeah. You mm-hmm. don't want to grow them in, in the back of your house because you're going to get in trouble. But if you can manufacture a clean, sterile, Mm-hmm. Uh, you, it's safe now. Whether they work or not, it's mm-hmm. a whole other story. A yeah, whole other story. Yeah. So that's, that's super interesting, man. And and just to kind of to kind of go from there. So I've heard, um, like, I went and got actual stem cell therapy. I've also heard of exosome therapy, and some I heard that, or from what it sounds like, from what I understand. The stem cells secrete exosomes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Actually, most cells will secrete some some kind of exosome, which is a particle of the cell that that detaches from the cell, and it, it may contain. So here's it. So let me back in there, back up a little bit. So anyone who says they know how MSCs work are lying. Mm-hmm. I can tell you right now. We have an idea what they do, how they work. We don't know. And it's most likely it's a plethora of things, right? Mm-hmm. Because the cell is a living thing. So yeah. what the cell will do is it will react to the environment, mm-hmm. right? And what it's doing really is protecting itself. So when mm-hmm. you inject the cells into you, you get you an inflammatory environment, it will start secreting a lot of stuff. It will start doing a lot of things to protect itself. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, you actually do, you know, what makes it better, dampen inflammation, Right, mm-hmm. calming down those immune cells, that's what it does, and mm-hmm. also accelerate healing. Right, so mm-hmm. it secretes a lot of stuff, interacts with a lot of cells to do exactly that. All right, but we don't know exactly what they are secreting. We mm-hmm. know there's a list of things that they secrete, and all mm-hmm. the clinics will tell you all those mm-hmm. secrete this, 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 this. We don't know when are they secreting, we don't know how much. Mm-hmm. We don't know how my cells will secrete things different than yours, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know. I mean, there's so much we don't know. There's it's so many just, details. There's so many things that we don't know, but we get around it because it's safe, right? Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't safe and we weren't seeing all these things, and yeah. it gets to the point of, so exosome is one of those things. I mean, we know we secrete them. They secrete it. We know there's something there. It's a protein. It's yeah. a RNA. It's a genetic material that is doing something. Mm-hmm. We quite don't know. And my exosome might be way different than yours. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can't standardize that. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I understand why people do it on clinic because it's safe. Mm-hmm. It's been proven over there to safe if mm-hmm. you do it correctly. But I also understand why the FDA does not want to approve it here, right? Without a rigorous trial. I understand mm-hmm. that because they had nothing to gain, but everything to lose. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I've heard, you know, I've heard some some like you know horror stories and things where you know it'd be so easy to for a clinic in a different country to dupe someone that doesn't know any better and be like hey we're going to give you this thing and you know the exciting buzzword and the promise of potentially feeling better and then someone gives them a bunch of cash they go in they get you know a liter of normal saline you know in their arm and 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 nice little placebo effect and send them home and whatever um so that was kind of, you know, I wasn't really looking to 
you know, there was a bunch of different price points and it was pretty, pretty expensive treatment. And, um, you know, there are a bunch of different places that I, that I could have gone, but I picked one of the ones that seemed to be most well-known and in the spotlight. And, you know, I spoke to some patients previous and one of the guys I actually spoke to, he had been in a, uh, a car accident. Like he got hit by a drunk driver, terrible, terrible accident. Um, and he had some herniated discs in his neck that were leading to, I believe, numbness in his upper extremities. Um, he had some issues with his knees and he was in pretty significant, severe amounts of pain, um, for quite some time to the point that, you know, doctors had him on a really high dose of gabapentin and some other things, um, for that pain relief and to kind of help manage his symptoms. And so he went and he, you know, he's not a rich guy by any means, you know, per, per what he stated. Um, but he went and he, he got this therapy done and they did the intradiscal uh, therapy in his neck and he did the IV in his body. And he said, it's been about nine months and he genuinely feels like he's made about an 80% recovery from being constantly in pain. And now he's out able to like go hike and do his thing and enjoy his life. And that was, I think, one of the stories after talking to him, that was when I kind of was like, you know what, I'm going to pull the trigger on this because, you know, like you said, it's safe. I don't really have anything to lose. There isn't really necessarily a standard of like exactly what you should expect. It seems to be highly, highly individualistic. Um, and it seems to be, from what I gathered, very dependent on the individuals um how would i put it maybe their natural their their state of health uh their resiliency um how healthy you are maybe if you're obese or not i'm sure that plays a role um you know if you're diabetic or you know if you're if, how many comorbidities you have so like the healthier leaner the more sleep you get the better your diet i mean that's going to benefit anything so it makes perfect sense that this would benefit this and I was actually on like a four or five month wait because that's how backlogged they wow. were. And there was an individual in the UK and the United Kingdom that he, I believe he wanted to lose about 40 pounds before he got his therapy done. And he was booked for August and this was actually in July. And he didn't lose the weight in time. And so he wanted to extend his window. And so he took a, he bumped his August appointment back to December and that freed up an August appointment. And they hit me up like two weeks before. And they're like, Hey, you know, we can get you in, but we have like 20 people waiting in line, but like you're physically healthy, ready, good to go. You have great endurance. You're lean, you're eating healthy, like your body's ready to go for this. Mm -hmm. So like, we can get you in if you want. And maybe that was a sales tactic, <laughs> but it was like, all right, either wait four months or go in in two weeks. So I chose to go in in two weeks. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious as far as, uh, you know, where you feel like, you know, the pros and cons based on your opinions of this, you know, you sure. said you feel like it's safe. You don't really know, you know, where you know what the actual what it's actually doing exactly but it kind of sounds like there's a sort of a an idea mm -hmm. there, is, there is there is there and know. in the case of your clinic i mean it's so famous they have mm -hmm. so many patients that have gone through i mean they mm -hmm. they have a data right they have data yeah. to say okay it seems like the data indicates that these individuals do better right i mean how they <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how they determine those and all these things, I don't know. Sure. Uh, they, 
I have no idea how they did that. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I I don't know if they had any you know basic research, animal studies to back that up. I have no idea. Perhaps they just look at the literature overall. You know, we usually do two million per kilo, ten million per kilo. I think that's kind of mm -hmm. general census and mm -hmm. basic research. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I think again, the problem I have is this clinic, like it's in metal, right? Yeah. I don't know how they're doing making the cells, right? I mean, they, uh, they do all their microbiology in house, I believe. Yeah, they have to do some release testing, right? Make sure it's clean. They, uh, I, from what they told me, from what they told me, they get the donor cells, however yeah. they get them. You know, uh, uh, there's a birth, and they are able right. to obtain the umbilical cord themselves. They, they get the cells, they culture them or expand them. Their term was expand them. Yeah, yeah. Whenever I spoke to them, they said they they obviously went through a list of you know potential viruses and things mm -hmm. that they checked them for. Of course, like that that sounds pretty standard, um, and what I would expect. You know, it was all stuff I knew: HIV, yeah. mad cow disease, you know, right. all that stuff. And um, and then they said they expanded them, I believe five to seven times they okay. said that range was the range at which they achieved the number they wanted but it was like any less would be not as good and any more than that wouldn't be not as good so they said that five to seven uh range of times that they were expanding. and again i i don't know where they're getting these numbers right? i mean just knowing the literature i know that makes sense right that's mm. what we do like as a as a general practice right we know that if and the other thing about MSCs is that they proliferate well, so that's why people use that a lot. Mm -hmm. We know that as we expand them, they change, right? Mm -hmm. And and they lose some of their properties as, as you expand more and more. Mm -hmm. How they come up with the number, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> but but it makes sense. It, it, the whole thing makes sense. The, all the the testing that you talk about, it makes sense. If you they were doing any clinical trials here using MSCs, that what would be required of them, right? Mm -hmm. To define all these to get the testing done. So it, it totally makes sense. Uh, but they just skip the trial in, in doing it in, in Colombia. That's what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and maybe maybe it's a trade secret and they're keeping all the information. No, the it's no secret. I can tell you that. We all know that. <laughs> but the thing, the, the reason why they go there, they, because they have to go to clinical trials. It's a very expensive endeavor, right? It has mm. many years to come. Sure. And, and it's missing a very key element there on the clinical trial because the FDA will not release the cell if they don't know what's doing, right? Mm. You can't just say these cells are doing something good. I don't know what it is because yeah. if you can measure the potency of the cells, it can't be a product, right? It's mm. too too risky. They, the unknown is too risky. So that's mm. why, you know, they don't do it. I, and, but again, I'm telling you, there's 1,500 clinical trials using MSCs in, in the mm. world right now. So, so, you know, with that being said, that kind of leads us to a really interesting juncture because in the U.S. they let you re-inject your own, but they don't, they let you do um, uh, uh, autologous, but they don't let you do allogenic. So well, when I was researching, it sounded like they said it was okay if you are re-injecting something that you already drew out of your own body, perhaps from bone marrow, adipose tissue, okay, okay. not from something external. So I can tell you because, so we work in a center for cell therapy. So I understand, I know the regulations, right? The FDA will tell you this, right? Um, if you take out a cell and you modify or 
or manipulated any way that means enzymatic digestion, proliferation, or expansion, the way you say it, right? If you do those, only those two things, and, well, there are more. Let's say they also have something they call homologous use, right? Mm -hmm. If you do a homologous use, minimal manipulation, and you can guarantee there's no systemic effect, the FDA will let you inject your cells back. So the only time this happens in the U.S. is a hematopoietic stem cell transplant. I don't know if you're familiar with, but hematopoietic stem cell transplant is the bone marrow transplant. Yep. That's the only approved stem cell. Well, for, for cancer patients. For cancer patients. There's also CAR T cells that are also approved. There's some cartilage cells that are also approved. But with any other cells, so I think what you're talking about is the bone marrow cells that people get it. Mm-hmm. And it injected back, injected back right away, right? So there's no manipulation there, mm-hmm. right? Well, so, I've also, I've not to cut you off or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can also in, um, get uh, they can they can draw those cells out of uh, like your hip or your adipose tissue, and they'll reinject them into like a site of an injury or something. Um, so not, that's not illegal, just, by the way. The FDA yes. will not allow. Yeah, will not because huh. you <laughs> you are doing. First of all, you're not doing an homologous use. A mm-hmm. bone marrow cell or a hip cell or adip- let's let's break it down. Bo- mm-hmm. A bone marrow cell from your hip, mm-hmm. its homologous use is to inject back on a hip for mm-hmm. a bone marrow transplant, right? That's if you're not not doing that, you're not you're doing what the FDA calls non-homologous use. Mm-hmm. That itself requires uh, a different level of uh, of regulation, right? It requires clinical trial. The second part is adipose tissue. When you get adipose tissue, to get mm-hmm. the cells, you have to digest the tissue because it's yeah. a block of, it's a blob of fat, sure. right? That breaks down the rule of the minimum manipulation that I talked mm-hmm. about. So that becomes, again, further regulation clinical trials, right? And the second part for both of them is it's non-homologous use. I mean, I already talked about this, but, mm-hmm. and also there's something called systemic effect so you're injecting these cells, expecting them to act systemically, especially if you're doing IV, and you expect mm-hmm. them to act on your spine. That's mm-hmm. not a local effect. That's a systemic effect. So you're breaking three rules at the same time for the FDA to consider uh, legal for you to do in the U.S. No kidding. So Because there's quite a few facilities that are, mm-hmm. like, there's several just in my local area mm-hmm. that are, they, they draw them from those sources and they'll put it back in your shoulder. Yeah, they'll put it in, you know, in a disc, or they'll put it in your knee. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it sounds sounds kind of like uh, there's a lot of bending of the rules here. Yep, yep. And, and the FDA does not have the bandwidth to go after all these people. They can't. They don't have it. You know, back a few years back, they start sending letters to these clinics and say, "Look, what you're doing, you can't do it. You need clinical trials. You need regulation. And there's just so much they can do, right?" Yeah. <laughs> I mean, every city has what, like California or New York, they have, you know, hundreds, dozens, you know. How dozens of track? places. Yeah. There's no way they can track it. But I can tell under the law, they shouldn't mm. be doing that. And a lot of people will push back and say, you know, same procedure, right? That's what they say, same procedure, same mm-hmm. procedure. That's just one of the requirements. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so, because um, my, my hypothesis, my idea was that say you have this really, really beneficial therapy, right? You know, in terms of that whole thing. If there's a shot that you can put in someone's knee that can prevent a joint replacement, 
there's probably a lot of doctors that do joint replacements that aren't going to like that. Or there's a lot of doctors oh. that do joint replacements that want to start offering regenerative medicine so they can keep their business. Yeah, I mean, you know, people have different incentives. And I, and listen, I don't judge anybody who takes it, who gives it. I'm sure mm -hmm. there's some bad people, bad faith there. But if, if you're a doctor and you think that this is going to work and you know it's safe, I don't blame him for trying, right? Sure. Uh, if the guy is selling saline or he's digesting the cells on the back of his of his clinic, yeah. I, I don't well, think it's right. I mean, of course, it's, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's hard mm -hmm. to tell because there's some good intention people, do, right? Yeah. And, and there are people who need it, right? Like, would you rather get a joint replacement or inject cells? I mean, it's right. Easy, 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 uh, easy option, right? Easy yeah. answer there. Yeah. I, I went out of my way and I know quite a few MDs and like uh, some ortho surgeons, um, and I, I asked them, I said, hey, you know, what do you think about this treatment? <laughs> and the reply I got back was uh, snake oil and unicorns yeah. and rainbows. And I was yeah. like, okay, I, I just wanted to ask, you know, I, yeah. I had already, I was already scheduled to go get it. Yeah. And so I went and got it and I have an MR, the MRI previous. And so yeah. I want to go in like, say in three months, you know, I'm optimistic, say in three months or five months, say my symptoms go away. Mm -hmm. um, then I'm going to get an MRI again and see if there's any mechanical change down there. See if there's any physical change. See if, you know, any of the herniations reduced in size or reduced in the amount that they're compressing on anything. And like, you know, if it does, then I can easily put the MRI side by side and, you know, be like, well, what do you think about this? And yeah. I mean, I'm sure you have a, a feasible explanation. And, mm. I, you know, it's and it's hard to tell. I mean, people react differently. The cells are different, right? So mm. I think that's that's again, that's the problem, right? We, yeah. we don't know. We don't we don't have a predictor of efficacy, right? We mm. don't know what makes the cell good or what makes the cell bad. We might know what patient is optimal for the treatment, right? Mm. Like you said, maybe he's healthy, you know. And if you're healthy, you're gonna heal better anyways, right? So yeah, mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah. But for the cell, I guess you know that's 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 a problem. And mm. and I can tell, you know, clinical trials have been going on for years, and you know, there was one for Grappler's disease that made it to phase three. They had to go back and change the criteria because it worked in some people and it didn't work in some other people. Uh, so I think we'll, we'll we'll see some products coming in a few mm. years, MSC products for certain indications. I think we will mm. because it does work sometimes. I can't I can't we can't deny that, right? I can yeah. tell like in the laboratory it worked every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are, what are, when in what you do? What are some of the positive things that you've seen it do? Like firsthand anecdotal, like some of the things that you've said, like some of the things that you've seen that have made you feel like, wow, this can be pretty promising? Well, the first thing is that it's safe. I think we've known that for years, but mm -hmm. I think all the clinical trials have shown that it's safe. So mm -hmm. that itself, it's a, it's a huge thing because, you know, that's mm -hmm. the first step for any approval, right? Of course. So what I see most is autoimmune diseases. That's mm -hmm. what people are trying the most because uh, in inflammatory conditions, right? Either acute or chronic those are the those are the applications that I think are more promising. You Perhaps know, like like something like rheumatoid arthritis or lupus yeah, or osteoarthritis. Yeah, those. Uh, yeah, the, only, the problem we see with that is that those are you know inherited 
they're ever going, right? So yeah. you would think that you need constant injections or, you know, at least regular injections. But yeah. I can see that working. I mean, mm. I can see that working. Uh, I think that's promising. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. You know, the funny thing, and I don't, I don't know if this was connected. Um, you know, they mentioned that I might, you know, that they potentially regulate the immune system or, you know, do some things with that. And maybe, maybe like four or five days after therapy, I was in Miami. I flew back into Miami and I was staying in Miami for a couple of days. And I've never had this happen before, but I had a little bit of what I would take as an allergic reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, I think I got my therapy, it was like maybe five, six days post, but you know how like you'll get maybe like puffy eyelids. Mm-hmm. So um, both of my eyelids, like above my eyes got a little bit puffy and a little, the skin got a little bit like sensitive. And I don't, I don't know if I would call it painful, but it was definitely like sensitive and it went away after like two days and it wasn't significant wasn't anything you know i didn't do any didn't seek any treatment for it or anything you know i just let it happen and it went away but i've never experienced that ever i don't have any allergies Mm. Um, i don't have anything that i'm sensitive to um i've never i've never had that type of reaction ever before to anything and um, so I found that pretty interesting. Yeah. And I would, How many I'm, days after? Uh, I think it might have been maybe three to five. Okay. Yeah, yeah, three to five. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's really interesting that you say that because whenever I was down there at the clinic, I was sitting there um, getting my IV done, and there was a girl that came in. Um, there's a girl that came and she looked to be maybe her early twenties, like college age student with her family, uh, her mom and her dad. And she was in a wheelchair and, uh, they put her in the seat. And, um, from what a, she looked to be a paraplegic, she, she didn't have use of her legs. And I don't know why I didn't ask, but I, I started talking to them and I said, you know, I said, how long have you guys been coming here? You know? And they said, Oh, well, this is her fourth treatment. And I said, oh, wow, like, what, what has your experience been like? Like, what have you noticed? And she said, you know, well, this is my fourth treatment. Um, and I used to have, she said, I was limited in my sensation and ability to activate muscle from like about like sternum level down. She said, I, I didn't have any use of anything below that. I didn't have any feeling, any sensation. This is my fourth IV that she's done. She said, this is my fourth IV that I've done. And she's like, I, I'm now able to actually start activating some of the musculature in my upper thighs, like upper quads. She's like, I can feel all the way down to my waist and I'm able to get a little bit of muscle tone in my upper legs. And I was like, that's pretty crazy. I don't, I don't know of any, I don't know of any other type of treatment that has that can do something like that to that degree in terms of like a like a spinal cord injury like that yeah yeah Um, yeah no yeah i i mean i agree i mean i that's very rare and mm. but i believe it i I mean one of the things that these cells you know can do i think is they secrete a lot of growth factors right Mm. so growth factors and and they can they can add regeneration you know perhaps what kind of condition did she have do you know i believe she she had i believe she was in maybe an accident like a car accident um that led to you know 
some type of spinal cord injury in her thoracic spine. She told me the number. Yeah. It was a T something, but I forget the actual number. I didn't write it down. Um, but it, it, yeah, it was a it was a pretty significant spinal cord injury where she, you know, yeah. was a paraplegic, obviously from it. I don't know if it was a complete. Uh, if it was a complete. And how recent? Do you know? Uh, I don't know how recent. In your case, I can, I can, we can easily see what happened, right? So you mm. had something. It was almost an inflammatory condition. The mm. cells alleviated that, and it yep. created a lot more range of motion. I mean, it's kind of. I think it's kind of clear that, mm. not clear, but you know, strongly yeah. suggestion that this is kind of what happened, right? Yeah. Whether it will maintain it or it will start accelerate your healing, that's also yeah. possible, right? It, what you're saying, know. it seems like it might be happening, right? It's yeah. helping your body heal. The thing with the cells, though, is we know IV cells vanish very quickly, though. Mm -hmm. So whatever it did, it did in the first couple of days. Mm -hmm. it, it it either kickstarted something or mm -hmm. accelerated something, right? Mm -hmm. Because your immune cell is kind of crazy. I tell mm -hmm. people, your immune cell tries to kill an ant with an atomic bomb, right? Yeah. It has no control, right? Yeah. So the fact that you can dump that down and actually your body can start healing, right? That's mm -hmm. that's that's a very good application for these cells yeah. but in her case yeah i don't know if uh, you know yeah, like i had to guess it would be growth factors or something of that nature yeah. one of the uh one of the statistics that they or not maybe not statistics one of the things they sort of told me and one of the things that i read was that as you age your body's natural stem cells decrease in number and decrease in potency mm -hmm. so would you say that there is any uh, efficacy to trying to quote unquote replenish uh, your cells as you get older, or like you said, they kind of go in and they disappear. But if, then again, my thought would be, you know, if they're similar to the cells that I already have, wouldn't it be like a refill kind of, or is it not like that at all? No. Well, so some people are really upset when you call them stem cells. Mm -hmm. You should know. Some people are really upset because they're not stem cells. They're like, yeah. they're like stromal cells. So I can. So MSCs, right? We're talking yeah. about MSCs. True. These cells are usually in your stromal, stromal, stromal area. I guess I don't know. And stroma really is everything that fills out your organs that are not specialized cells, right? Okay. So, uh, so they're like around the vessels. So some people call these cells parasites because they're around the vessels. So in in that area, I mean. That's where, that's where they stay, and that's their function. It's more of a support. So mm -hmm. you you can you can see how these cells would work because if they're there as support and there's an injury, they're right mm -hmm. there to kind of help with the inflammation sure. and healing it. Right. So it makes sense that they function like that. Mm -hmm. The thing with the replenish is that the cells are not going there. Yeah. Right. And if if you're injecting your cartilage, they're not mm -hmm. turning to cartilage. Mm -hmm. So you, there's no chance of replenishing whatsoever your cells. Mm -hmm. It can help maybe, and that is a speculation. Mm -hmm. Your cells or your organs, some of them, some less, have pools or niches of stem cells, mm -hmm. right? And those are, are maintained or decrease over time. It might be, and again, I might be saying nonsense here, but the mm -hmm. cells secrete something that either strengthens that niche or mm -hmm. uh, stimulates that those progenitor stem cells in your organ to proliferate, right? Sure. That, that would not be the case in the in, in some organs like the brain and the heart that mm -hmm. they don't quite, 
they don't have quite a large on their stem cells, but they mm. might be in other organs, you know. Mm. You might be uh, kickstarting some proliferation from the internal stem cells. So Interesting. That's, that's possible. Interesting. So instead of like them just like topping off the same thing you're saying, these MSCs are different than actual overall stem cells in the body and that injecting them, you know, and ha bringing more into the into your body can maybe make your own proliferate or maybe somehow decrease the burden or, you know, kickstart a process or whatever in terms of like stimulating your own body to regenerate, you know, maybe that is, correct. That is correct. Yep, that is absolutely correct. So it can, you know, it, it can do that by dumping down inflammation and giving your body a chance to heal, mm -hmm. right? Uh, or you can kickstart something at the same time that will trigger proliferation and stuff. So, so that, these are all possible, and these are all probably observable and they have been seen. Right? Mm -hmm. That's not, not new. Interesting. So you've seen some benefits in terms of um, in terms of inflammatory and autoimmune conditions and that sort of thing. Have you seen any benefit in regards to like orthopedic injuries um, or anything along those lines? So, so the problem is where I work and what I've worked, I don't, I'm not in contact with these clinics, right? Mm -hmm. These clinics have all the data, right? Wow. I, I don't get to see these, these cases because they're not FDA approved. So I don't see them, right? I see sure. them on research and clinical trials. So mm -hmm. I can tell for clinical trials, you know, I've seen, like I said, Graves-Souls disease, uh, osteoarthritis. And I think there's a study in Chile which is very successful in osteoarthritis using MSCs. Mm -hmm. So you see now and then publications or studies that you come across that are beneficial. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, and I believe they're true. I, mm -hmm. I totally believe they're true. Mm -hmm. That's super interesting. Have you seen any, like, what are some of the, like, big negatives? And have you seen any negatives or anything that, like, is really given you pause at all? Or is it, you know, you mentioned that everything you – things seem mostly safe in regards to this therapy. Yeah. And I mean, and what I mean safe is if you manipulate the cell correctly, if there are no contamination. So I can tell you sources of danger, right? On these cells, let's say your cell come from the Wharton's gym mm. for you to get those cells out. You have to digest them. You have to use an enzymatic solution. Mm. So if we were doing this in the, in the, right setting you would have to qualify that enzymatic reaction make sure it's pure make sure it's working right before you use it mm -hmm. and some people will not do that they will just use whatever they found on the shelf they mm -hmm. digest it and then you're supposed to wash that thing off but if you yeah. don't if you don't wash it well that yeah. enzyme enzyme is there once you inject it in the body it's going to start digesting your body i mean i've seen that before right i mean that's crazy yeah. and then other sources contamination right so you can get immune-compromised people and you, and you manipulate it in your living room and you start getting all these bacteria in there and then you inject bacteria into the patient. I mean, that happened also, right? Sure, sure. Those are the, those are the dangers. Mm, interesting. So it sounds to me like a lot of the dangers associated are almost more process-oriented than the actual than what the actual cell could potentially do it versus like a, a prenatal cell that can differentiate into some type of tumor or other body tissue the mscs themselves are pretty safe but in some of these facilities because the regulation isn't you know super um 
super, I guess, uh, consistent across the board, you can get, you know, a risk for sepsis or infection from contaminated sources, or, you know, a risk from, you know, some type of ingredient that they use. That's right, that's right, that's right. And, and even with the so embryonic fetal stem cells, right, sometimes they will not turn into like a metastatic tumor. That's mm-hmm. that's not what it is. But sure. if you think about it, if you inject these cells in the brain, they start growing and turning into something else. I mean, you know, that can't be good, right? Yeah, sure, <laughs> sure. Yeah. If, if anything, the occupying of space in your cranium is right. not <laughs> You only want the brain to do that. You don't want it to that's be, right. you don't want right. there to be a foot in there. In spine, right? I mean, the same concept. I mean, you don't want that. Uh, so, you know, it, we were just lucky, I guess. Not lucky, but, you know, it just so happened the MSCs are safe in general. That's what the data indicates, right? I'm not saying there aren't cases where some MSC might go rogue due to culture conditions, donor variability, right? Or something like that. I think when it comes to humans and people in general, I think you can have a treatment that is a majority good, but even though we're all, you know, 99 point whatever percent the same genetically, that tiny percentage of variation can cause us to, you know, a beneficial treatment or something that acts the same across the board. There's always going to be an individual, a really extremely rare um, individual, uh, an outlier, if you will that is going to react in a way that is not consistent across the board, you know, based on some really unique factor or some, uh, some gene that they have, maybe their body responds in some really unique way. And so I think there's always going to be a, a potential risk for that. I mean, with anything, with any I kind agree. of, I agree, I um, agree, but I, but I will add to that though, Ian, that we're talking about live cells here, right? For different sure. individuals. So the variation is not only on the receiving person, it's also on the, the donor, right? So yeah. there's two variables there. That's what That's, makes it a little bit more more complicated too, right? Sure. Because you, you think about that. If, if you have genetic material from a donor, you know, you, you it's not it's not like all this all the the introduced cell content is the same across the board. You could have ten different donors with ten different genetic you know material. <laughs> I mean, that would be crazy, but you well, can see some people yeah. thinking about that, like, right? Right, because you get lots of cells. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I mean, yeah, that's well, if you if you have an if, if maybe they're not getting it all at once, but if say this right. person gets stem cells at three different points in time, right. and they're from three different donors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think know. about your case, right? You have no idea who donated those cells. Mm-hmm. They right. they told me that it was. Uh, uh, two X chromosome, so I know it was a girl. <laughs> they didn't tell me your name. They didn't send me a send me a photo. I, I can't mean, you don't know what overlying condition that right? Any, I mean, not. But I mean, I'm just saying, you know, uh, the data indicates it's safe. There are always risks, and the problem, the biggest problem, is we don't know exactly how they're doing it. We yeah. don't know until we know. It's hard to turn that into a standard of care treatment. Yeah. It's hard because it's wishy-washy. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to inject these cells. It may work or it may not work. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I guess I'm okay with that, but as a scientific argument, that's... Yeah, that's That's not not sufficient. I don't think it is, right? I don't think you want to legalize something that's like that. (laughs) Do 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 you think they differentiate at all? into cartilage or bone or, or collagen? Well, I tell people in the lab, I can turn a cell into anything. 
Yeah. The question is, are they after they inject? I know MSCs won't. Yeah. They will die off of it after a few days. You can't mm. differentiate them in the lab and inject it. Mm. The problem is how are they going to integrate into the tissue, right? Because they have to make it all the way there. They yeah. have to integrate into the tissue. And cartilage is mostly dead tissue. So what? What? how are you doing this? So some people use a scaffold. Some people use all sorts of things to get the cells in there. Interesting. Yeah, so it's possible. How do you just, is it based off just research and testing that you know after you inject them, they die off after That's a certain... Right. Yeah, this research, we know we know 95 plus percent of cells will get trapped in your lungs because mm -hmm. they get to the alveoli. These are big cells. Yeah. They get trapped in the alveoli. Some mm -hmm. will escape, but I mean, some people think I can't say everybody. Yeah. But we do think that either those few cells will go to a site because they're attracted to that, mm -hmm. or the cells in your lung, because they're trapped and trying mm -hmm. to dispend themselves from dying. It starts mm. creating systemic things that will help your body. Interesting. So it's like if they get trapped mechanically in the lungs and they're stressed, they're secreting all these things that get, you know, sent. Correct. They're, they're trying to protect themselves. Like I said, if you, if you inject cells in your spine, there's an inflammation there. They'll mm. say, okay, there's something wrong going on here. Let me do something. Mm. They'll start secreting stuff. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a cool fact. Well, um, where do you see, you know, where do you see this going? Where do you see this going in the future? How, how long do you think it'll take before um, before this becomes viable? Do you think it's, you know, do you think it's a more promising treatment? Some people are kind of hailing it as uh, almost like a cure all to many things. You mentioned yeah, that there, you mentioned there are fifteen hundred studies going on, so it seems like the the seems like a hot commodity in terms of people looking to it for hope as to something that can, you know, heal us and, you know, be a big, uh, a big factor in anti-aging. Um, anti-aging. That's an interesting. So let me tell you a quick stories. So I, I came across a few years ago, a study from a Korean group. They got MSCs and inject into rats every month. They will inject some cells into these rats, right? So they had two groups, a control group, mm -hmm. no cells and a control. They will inject MSCs every month. Those injected rats live 30% longer hmm. than the, the non-injected cells. So there's something there, right? We know there's something there. But to, yeah. to reply to your question, I mean, I, I, there's always promise, right? There's always there's always hope. And I think it's good that's going that way. And But we're always going to end up with the same problem, I think, which is if you're using allogeneic cells, like in your case, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we're always going to the donor problem because if you get an allogeneic cell and you're using one donor to treat millions of people, that's not going to work because yeah. the cell will change over time, right? And if you use autologous cells, your own cells, then you, you're in risk of donor variation. So your mm -hmm. cells work well on you, but my cells on myself, not so much, right? My, mm -hmm. Your cells might be better for you. My cells sure. might be so good for me. Right, sure. so it's very hard. It's very again, it's very hard to predict whether it will work or not because we know if you expand yourself too much, they're not so good. But autologous, there's too much variation, so mm -hmm. it's hard to de define a point and you say, okay, this is what we need to do. Right, these are the number of cells, these are the time we have to expand them, and these are the the markers of potency. Right, mm -hmm. when you get the cells, look for this, 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 and this. We'll tell you everything you need to know whether they work or not. And mm -hmm. until we have that, 
there's going to be a lot of clinical trials that will fail because they don't know. <laughs> and again, if the clinics want to do it in a safe way and the FDA at, at some point down the line say, okay, look, this seems pretty safe. You know, it might work and it might not work, but as long as you follow these protocols and make mm -hmm. sure it's safe, we're okay with that. I can find and I think it might work as well. That's super interesting. Yeah. So it kind of sounds like, it sounds to me like um, a lot of the advertisement that a lot of these clinics use is really just them kind of hypothesizing and it sounds kind of like they need to change their advertisement to hey this might be able to help you we don't really <laughs> we don't really know how but if we do it some people feel like it helps them so come get it kind of thing that's some bad advertisement <laughs> bad marketing yeah, yeah i mean in these clinics like the one you went to they might have data to support a number right they might have a specific number they say look we treated like a thousand people and 500 got better so that's you know that's a good sample size you know that's something you can say you know the more they have it they might say you know we I, there's a 50 percent chance right i mean and then they can look at the comorbidities they can look at the doses they can look at the age and make all sorts of assessments right that will help us understand that right yeah. this mm. actually should be done in clinical trials yeah. but again mm. these clinics are doing it so yeah. there's valuable data there you you if you every new patient you get you add it to the data pool and maybe through that these you know a popular clinic who has this amount of patients coming through it can sort of guide their own best practice with their data pool and maybe they determine that okay well you know this, these are the parameters that we're typically seeing the highest probability of best results. That's really interesting. I still have their contact information. So I would be really curious to kind of reach out to them. To I wonder if they would talk to me or they would be open about it if I were to reach yeah. out and ask them and say, like, yeah. hey, do you, do you guys keep like a data pool of all your patients, you mm -hmm. know, and to like fuel your parameters and things? And maybe maybe they'd be straight up with me. Maybe they wouldn't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what their incentives are to tell you that data, right? Because yeah. it turns out their numbers 20% get better then they don't want you to know. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some valuable data there to be found. Yeah, yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, cool. Um, I don't want to keep you too long, but uh, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. I appreciate uh, the information that you gave, you know, answering all my questions and everything. Um, so that was really, really insightful. Do you have any type of, I don't know if you have a social media or anything you want to promote? Or no, I don't, I don't. I wish that YouTube video was mine because I would be making money, but it's not mine. It's from Ted, so I don't make any money out of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say for every, every so, you know, if you get like a million, couple million views, it's, you know, like five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars. You get. I know, right? Yeah, I have, <laughs> I have no social media, I have no Instagram, no nothing. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> you got to get on that. Maybe I'll like screenshot a photo of you from the TED Talk to use in the post or something. Oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. yeah I don't know if I could use that, but. <laughs> well, cool, man. Uh, well, thanks again. Thank you so much for coming on and uh, wish you the best. And maybe in like three or four months, I'll send you my repeat MRI and let you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I'll be curious to know. Yeah, that'd be <laughs> cool, man. Well, take it easy. Have a good All right. One. Thanks, Ian. All the best. Good luck.